Welcome to Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale, sponsored by Capital Healthcare Network, an Ohio-based, family-owned and operated company providing solutions that help seniors age on their own terms. Those solutions include home care, senior living, nursing home and rehab care, and hospice. Learn more at CapitalHealthCareNetwork.com. Welcome to Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale, sponsored by Capital Healthcare Network, an Ohio-based, family-owned and operated company providing solutions that help seniors age on their own terms. Those solutions include home care, senior living, nursing home and rehab care, and hospice. Learn more at CapitalHealthCareNetwork.com. Thank you for joining us today on Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale. I'm your host, Lisa Stockdale. And today my guest is a gentleman that I'm meeting for the first time, but we have been corresponding via email for some time now. I feel like I know you. Um, I was talking to my pod, I call Brett my podcast guy, <laughs> um, my, my projection manager, um, before we got on. I said, I'm so excited to actually finally meet him. Um, I feel like, Jim, you embody all the concepts of aging in full bloom that we are trying so hard to promote. And I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce your last name. Well, the, the common, the general use is flarity, but I, I lean toward the actual, the Irish pronunciation of flaherty. Flaherty. All right. And that is actually how, what I would have said. Okay. And what we want our, we're going to get into it with you in terms of what it really means to age in full bloom. And I think you can teach us a thing or two. Um, you, you say you are 86 going on 60. Is that right? That's me. Okay. Um, And you have written a book recently. And the book I want to share. Yeah, I know. I know this isn't a video, but that's what the book looks like. Yeah, the the cover is beautiful. And it's called Dear Old Friends. Um, A loving reminder. Okay. That the band won't stop playing till you stop dancing. And then on... And then on the cover, I put XO, Love and Kiss, it's Jim. I'll tell you why, because it's kind of a love letter. Yeah, I'm going to read this. I, I really like this little descriptive, so I'm going to read it. And you also sign your emails, XO. And again, it's very endearing. It says, Dear Old Friends is a loving reminder. You don't stop playing because you got old. You got old because you stopped playing. Um, laughing, learning, creating, and living. Besides a happy memoir from an author who wrote this book at age 44 and 85, I'm going to ask you about that. Dear Old Friends was originally a love letter to all the wonderful, much older friends the author said made his life so much more worthwhile. Full of loving advice for aging magnificently, you'll want to read it. And want all your dear old friends, not just your parents, to read, smile, learn, and think about how satisfying it is to make every day better. As the author reminds you, today is the oldest you've ever been and the youngest you'll ever be. So let's make today great. How did you write the book at 44 and 85? Jim, tell us about that. Well, going back to what you said, Lisa... I did have friends, even from the time I was a teenager, I probably had old hags who were 45 years old, (laughs) 
giving me loving advice. When I was 40, my best friends, I yes, I had contemporary friends, obviously, but my really dear to my heart friends were 75 to 80. Mm-hmm. And I listened to them. They'd say, turn left, turn right. Don't do that. That's stupid. Or that's brilliant. I can't believe you did that. That's wonderful. They made it good to be Jim. They taught me to respect my own decisions after first thinking them out. And I listened to their wisdom. You know, they had years, years of experience does give you wisdom. You know, I try not to lay that on my grandchildren. (laughs) But, you know, the fact is that I've climbed more mountains than they have. Yeah, how about that? I've had more hurdles, Mm -hmm. you know. So uh, I anyway, I wrote at 44 years ago at age 42 when I had a, a big corner office job in New York City. I was very proud of myself. I went from nowhere and worked my way up the ladder in the advertising profession. I was a creative director. Okay. I, I ran all the writers and art directors and TV producers all reported to me and we made the ads. You know, so and I thought they were a lot better than the ads you're seeing now on television, but that's a whole other subject. <laughs> anyway. Another topic. Another topic. Anyway, I sat down 44 years ago and wrote a love letter to my friends. And I titled it Dear Old Friends. And I read it. It was about 60, 70 pages long then. Now it's not a hell of a lot longer. It's only about 110 pages of the book. And I I found it. I, I, anyway, I looked at it back then, smiled, filed it, and forgot it. I had a new, I was starting a new business, a totally new business, changed careers in the, right in the middle of the bridge, looped okay. off and swam to the other sh- shore. I had two kids in college. I was out of my mind, and I forgot it. I found, did, it, la- I found it last year, and I reread you- it. When you wrote it originally, did you ever share it with anyone or was no, it just no. for your own personal? It was, it was between me and them. And I was going to actually send it to them as a long, as a Christmas gift letter. Anyway, I found it about a year ago and I read it again and I still liked it. And I smiled at it, but but now it's different. I'm one of them. Yeah. I'm a dear old friend. To uh-huh. many, many, to many, many younger people. Yes. And and I realize I'm playing the same role that my darling friends played in my life. So I kind of rewrote the book. I left some of the original writing in it because I still liked it. And I updated it. And I added the subtitle, A Loving Reminder the Band Won't Stop Playing Till You Stop Dancing. Mm-hmm. Love and Kisses, Jim. Because... I really feel that way. I I am a great believer that there are are and you'll I know you'll hear it in discussions on different medical shows. There is a chronological age and there's a biological age. Mm-hmm. And if you keep all of this part, your head, really working, your biological age is going to be younger. I mean, I know at eighty six. I could wake up on the wrong side of the grass tomorrow. <laughs> I, I don't expect to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really counting on, I'm hoping, because writing is the hardest non-physical job in the world, I think, because everything has to function. But I'm hoping to have another six really good years of writing 
maybe more. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm fine. My 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 daughters laughingly say my daughters my babies are sixty and sixty two. You know, okay. say say you'll live forever just to spite us. <laughs> you know, but it, <laughs> it's um, fine. I love them dearly. They love me, and we have a great time. You know. Sure, sure. But, so when you were a young man, you, even earlier than your 40s, you found an appreciation for older folks. Mm-hmm. And it was because of their experience and wisdom, anything else that attracted you to them? Well, you know, Lisa, if somebody is, by age 50, if they're a terrific person, if they had any frailties or faults, chances are they've already gotten over them. And they have wisdom and maturity. And it's terrific for for me being 20, when I came to New York at age 21, after graduating from Michigan State University, and I came to to New York City for, and I got a job for $3,400 a year. Oh, wow. (laughs) I took home $200 a month after taxes. Oh, my. And I had no allowance from home. There was no money at home. My father died when I was 14. And um, but those wonderful people were terrific. And for me being 21, 22, 23, they they were there. They they had strength of character. They had a solid mental outlook. And. They're fun, and I and I remind people in the book, if you were really great fun, funny at 30 and 40, that at 70 and 80 doesn't mean that you're dull. Right. If you, if you were funny, you're still funny. should be accumulating and getting better, right? <laughs> it, it, it should get better. My, uh, my late great mother, who was widowed twice, and she was just a terrific dame, absolutely lovely, lovely woman, uh, she t- taught me something years ago that I still do. It sounds slightly corny, but I, I, I actually do it, and I believe in it. She said, every morning when you get up and you face your greatest enemy, the most critical person in your life, it's that aging person in your mirror, in your bathroom mirror, and you face <laughs> that, that person, you have a choice. You can either scowl and growl and say, (laughs) good God, another day. Or you can smile sweetly at that could be a friend of yours (laughs) and say just as sweetly, good God, another day. Yeah. And I do that every day. I I say, good God, another day. Because every day is a miracle, folks. It's Mm -hmm. It's a miracle. You have another chance to do something good for yourself and for other people. And later on, and don't let me forget it, Lisa, later on I want to tell you about the golden rule and how it works in my life, all right? I'm making a note of that because I want to (laughs) Okay, ask ask me a question. (laughs) And then, okay, so in in the title, when when I first read Dear Old Friends, I thought you meant friends that you had had for a long time. But you don't really mean that. You actually mean dear old people that are my friends. (laughs) And so I love that. And and now you have become one of those old friends. And I even felt this 
before I met you in, well, we're not in person, but I feel like we are. Sure we are in person, absolutely. Um, I, I felt this connection, this camaraderie, this kindness that you just kind of ooze. And um, you have become the type of old person that you admired. Thank you. I, I really want to. I, in fact, right now, even though I, I said to remind me later, let's talk for a minute about the golden rule. Okay. My mother raised me with the good old-fashioned golden rule, which started, by the way, back with Confucius about 300 B.C. He said something that evolved into do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's the golden rule. And I liked the idea of it. And as I got older and then as I was married and I had babies, as a writer, as much as I liked the thinking behind it, I... I really did not like the language. You mean lay that on a four or five year old, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And they'll go, huh? Sounds what? pretty regimented, doesn't what? it? <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's terrible language. So I rewrote, I rewrote the golden rule. Okay. And, and it's, I rewrote it for myself and for my children. And they, my daughters still play it back to me. And I think they, they use it with their sons. I've got four millennial grandsons, 25 to 35. Anyway, it's very easy. Five words. You get what you give. Now, what do I mean by that? If you give a helping hand, a sympathetic ear, a generous heart, Mm -hmm. a warm embrace, you get it back. It comes back to you always. If all you give is anger, and criticism, and complaints, and demands, and depression, that also comes back to bite you, you know where, in your hindquarters. Because people, you know, you are a mirror of your own life. And if people want to think, I say to people, try it. Try, you get what you give. Tomorrow, if you have to take the bus, smile at the bus driver and say, good morning, how are you? Mm-hmm. And see what happens. Smile at a stranger on the street. Don't you don't have to start an at heart conversation, but to smile at people to, when somebody opens the door, say thank you very much, and say thank you to the lady checking you out of the grocery store. It's amazing how little niceties go a long way. Yeah, there's not many of them anymore. People are too. Cut off their two, they're looking at their cell phone. You know, mm-hmm. hell of that. Put the cell phone away and look at, some, <laughs> look at somebody in the eye and say, how are you? I've had this conversation with all four of my grandchildren. If I ever, ever come to the table and sit down and have the, the damn phone on, I'm going to smack you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I like it. I like it. I was going to ask you how you feel about technology, but I don't think I need to ask at this point. <laughs> I, I, lo- I, I love I love technology, Lisa. You you wouldn't remember because you're you're young enough to burp. I mean, you're still, you're still a, a sweet young young thing. <laughs> you know, I remember I grew up I grew up in South Florida, Coral Gables, Florida, before air conditioning. Okay. Now you think about that, and Ooh, and yeah, that's tough before television. Before television. So we heard all the news on the radio, homeowners, 
go out and roll up your awnings because in two hours you won't have awnings left. A hurricane was coming in. You know, I mean, we, yeah. it, it wasn't technology's wonder. I went away to college carrying a standard Royal typewriter with me, a 25 pound typewriter. And I would write one letter a week home and mail it to my mother. And she would mail a letter back to me once a week. Now, I have a daughter who lives in England, and every week we have at least a 25-minute viber chat talking and looking at each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm <clears throat> blessed. I'm blessed by the technology. I love it that I can maintain. I have friendships all over the world, and we're in touch with each other every other day by an email, by everything. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. As long as we don't use it to be so disconnected and so self-consumed. Absolutely. We lose track of everything that really matters. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So your book published when? It came out November, uh, Thanksgiving week. All right. Actually. So it's still yeah. a very much a new book. All right. Have Have you gotten any feedback? Is it I, I, they, there? There are 30 wonderful reviews on the book page and Amazon. And I'm very touched by the reviews. And I've also been very touched by friends who didn't write reviews, but have bought the book and they've read it. And they said, God, Flaherty, yeah, you wrote it for me. I said, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to stop bitching about my, my health issues every time I walk in the door. And I'm going to start trying to be more of a, a human being. I mean, yeah. it, the book... I, I, one pass, one chapter of the book is uh, the importance of passion, you know, and I say, no, 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 not the sweaty kind. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the real passion, the reason for getting up in the morning, maybe it's to paint or to write. Both of those take a little mindset to do. Maybe it's to read more or to learn something, to learn how to swim, to learn how to play bridge, mm-hmm. to learn a second language. That's fascinating. All those things are very easy to do at any age. I have a, a friend of mine, she's 80, 83 or 84. She's in college, getting her first college degree. Oh, and she said, she said, Jim, it's so much fun. The kids look at me like when I first came in, they said, Jesus, God, here comes Grandma Moses. You know? <laughs> and, she said, we've become best friends. They invite me to go to the library with them. And said, and I'm getting, it's doing the world for me. She said, I'm suddenly 19 years old. You should introduce me to her. I might like to interview her. Okay. Uh, that, that sounds fun. So you're hoping to spread this message of positivity, mindset, attitude matters. I think you're telling us energy is contagious. You get what you give. Absolutely. If you're very unhappy, you might want to have a conversation with the man or woman in the mirror, (laughs) regardless of your age, right? Right. Um, what, What else do you want? us to take away from this well i mean the book is very it's it's very real realistic in the terms of we all i think every individual out there and i'm including myself you must acknowledge your age 
I I know my age. Sometimes uh, the mirror, my mirror laughs at me, you know, but I, I know my age and I know that there are certain things that it would be very stupid for me to do that because I could injure myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, an 86 year old body, the bones are more brittle than they were at age 50. But but then I, I hear a statistic that said something, I'll, I'll be wrong in the numbers, but it was close to it, something like 75% of all people over 65 watch at least 40 hours of television a week. And I thought, oh. dear God, there's more in life to that. You know, I mean, if your body physically says, no, you're not going to be running around, you've got rheumatoid arthritis, you've got neuropathy, whatever whatever the problems are, fine. Then learn the second language. Study opera. <laughs> you know, if, and if you physically can't, become a volunteer. Maybe we don't go to the hospitals right now until this damn virus goes away. But go to your church. I'm a, uh, I have a rabbi friend who calls me a collapsed Catholic, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I love because, because, I, because I'm an elder in a Presbyterian church because the minister is a Yale scholar and he's absolutely brilliant. And I go to church knowing that I will learn something every Sunday. And I'm also on the board. I'm helping call the, calling the shots for the church. <laughs> but it, and it's terrific. And I sing in the choir. I do all the things I should because I I think it's good to have a and I and I tell my older friends it's good to have a relationship with God or your higher power whatever you want to call him or her I'm I'm a feminist I have two daughters I I grew up in the advertising industry which was the first profession to say hey she's as smart no she's smarter than him let's put her in the corner office yeah so I I grew up with Beautiful, talented women all You're around me. My whole giving life. me more and more reasons to love you. Um, <laughs> so, talk to me about this relationship with God. Does it change as you age? That, and- I I like I like that question uh, very much, Lisa. And I'll answer it in a very broad sense. Everything. And I say it very honestly to our listeners today. Everything changes with age. Your, sure. Your point of view about, certainly about politics, about your friends, about your children, everything changes. But And, and your attitude about God. I mean, I have, I think I have a, a I, I was never, totally disconnected from God, but I certainly was not a real good, solid, went to church every week of my life person. I did growing up, because that's what we did growing up in my era. You know, you did, you have to remember the different era. That was to to be growing up in the 40s, you know, it could have been the Spanish-American War. You know, I mean, it was another, it was another time. Yeah. Uh, but, then I had years of kind of being not going to church very often, but not church wasn't out of my mind. But now I go to church and I have 
And God is a good person. I have chats. I pray out loud, by the way. <laughs> that way I make sure he hears me. <laughs> or she. I, it could be very much very positive. I'm, I'm not sure that, that it's uh, he. But I pray out loud. And I, I think it's very good to have to make a friend out of God to say, what, what am I doing wrong? What can I do better? You know, I, I, I always say in my praying, I know I would really like to be as good as the person you think I should be, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'll try to work at it. I'll try to be a better person every day. And meanwhile, as you grow older, again, you're, and I think it's very important for people to grow older to say, Hmm, I'm growing older. And I, I looked at it saying, well, all of the Flaherty men, all of them died before 60. So I thought, well, don't buy anything on a long range payout, pay Jim, because you're not going to be around, obviously. And I was wildly busy and enthusiastic and just bouncing in every minute of my life during my 50s and 60s. And I thought, but it's also time to be thinking of what do you do to make sure that you go on doing that. Now, I know one of the reasons that I'm sitting here having a wonderful chat with you, and I'm so happy to know you, Lisa, is that 59, 59, it'll be 60 years in April, when I was standing outside of a hospital in Brooklyn, talking to myself out loud, I do it often, maybe because I like the answers, <laughs> smoking my one of two pack a day cigarettes, uh-huh. waiting, waiting to go in and see my new baby daughter, I said to myself, this was the year before it caused cancer, by the way. They hadn't made the connection till 1963 is when they announced, hey, you could die from smoking. They hadn't made that connection yet. But I was standing there and I said to myself, this is stupid, Jim. You know this can't be good for you, sucking something into your, your lungs. And it's got to be a horrible habit. And why, And you know you don't want your baby daughters to ever smoke. So I put it out and I never smoked again. Okay, that was 60 years ago. When I turned 80, although drinking was not a problem in my life because I've been a different kind of aholic. I've been a workaholic my whole life. And you can't drink if you're working 60, 70 hours a week. Well, I we stopped something in common, Jim. <laughs> I, I stopped drinking when I was 80. Because I suddenly found at 80, when I no longer owned a business and I didn't have to be there 70 hours a week, I thought, I'm drinking too much. Mm-hmm. Because instead of having a cocktail, I was having two cocktails. Instead of a glass of wine, I'd have two or three glasses of wine. I thought, ridiculous. So I stopped. Haven't had a drink in six years. I weigh five pounds less that I weighed at the end of basic training in the army. So I'm help. My doctor said, you know, as revolt as revolting as you are, Flaherty, he'll probably live forever. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. So a couple of things that well, actually, several things I'm hearing. One is you you love learning, mm. and I think you have to be a lifetime learner, and you have to. Never put that down in order to stay happy. And I think we agree on that. Yes. Tell, we must tell all of your listeners, the longer you can go on learning something, you're not going to slip into dementia. I just finished 
taking care of someone for three years with mm. dementia. Someone I cared about very deeply, and it, uh, it's the most painful education in the world. It is. It is. Oh, my God. You think, okay, fine. You do it, and you live. You can't bring them into your reality. You have to let them be in their reality. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so you, you learned to do things. But I, I basically, I stopped living myself for three years. I became a caregiver. That was my job, 24-7. It's, it's a full-time job. I mean, oh. 24-7 times. There aren't enough hours in the day no. um, to get it done, so that's for sure. Absolutely. Another thing I'm hearing, and I love this, is this idea of owning your age. Because I hear a lot of people, you know, they're they, – they're very aggravated if you ask them their age or they don't want to talk about how old they are or some of them are just flat in denial. And I'm like, I mean, I want to celebrate that number, you know, whatever it is. Listen, I lost a brother last year who was 50 and Mm -hmm. he's not going to get the opportunity to grow old with us. And, you know, what, how sad, how sad is that? That is sad. I think, what you're saying about every day, celebrate every day, find ways to find, find ways to find joy every single day. We can do it. The other thing I'm hearing is self-awareness. So, and as you get older, I think what you're saying, I said, does it change? You said, everything changes. I should have asked, how does it change? And it won't be the same for everyone, but how has it changed for you? It sounds like you've always been self-aware, but do you think you are more so now than you were in younger years? Yes, and, and it leads to something else that's, I think, very, very important, Lisa, with acknowledging one's age. It's called, don't wait till the last second. Do sit down with the people you love and who love you and do some planning. Really. Yeah. I mean, if you see it happening, if the doctor gives you bad news or mom or dad are slipping into dementia or Alzheimer's, you must get help. You have to say, okay, what do we do? Either either Sister Rose, you're going to come and live with mom and dad because you can't say, well, hell with them. They're, they'll be off on their own. Uh-uh. It doesn't work like that, folks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, it's a great message, and, and we talk about it all the time on this program, but it can never be said enough. You know, we mm. we need to be willing to ask for help when we need it. Um, and in order to do that, you got to be honest about who you are and where you are and what's going on. Right. Absolutely. And, and when you get the help you need, then you can do the other things that make you happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you're just spending all your time trying to clean the house and prepare meals and do all this other stuff. There's not a lot of joy in that for most of us. I've been asked to do some mentoring at one of the great private schools around us. One of my favorite quotes, one I bought into years ago, and I still believe, was from Noel Coward, of all people, (laughs) the the English wag and wit, who said, this is a great line, work is much more fun than fun. (laughs) And if you think about it, you know, if you are a devoted workaholic, 
it really, I wasn't created to float around a pool with the margarita in my hand. It's fine. I love fun. I, I fund a lot. I took cruises. I traveled. But very often I would take my computer with me even on a cruise so I could spend part of the day sitting writing and working. Yeah, yeah. I, I do understand where you're coming from. I think I'm a bit of a workaholic myself, and I think my my son is a writer, so he's working Good. on his second novel right now. Good. He's 24, I think it rubbed off on him, although I did not get the creative gene, so good for you writers. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, who got the creative gene. All right, so we want people to buy your book. It's an easy read. It's, it's really short, uh, beautiful cover. Um, filled with wisdom and positivity, uh, things that can make us happier, better right. human beings. What else do you want to leave our audience with? Well, th- that's really, those are the most important things to me. Are one, the golden rule, you get what you give. You get what you give. You know, and that today is the oldest you've ever been and the youngest you'll ever be. How about that? <laughs> so... Let's make the most of the day, shall we? You know, know, I mean, I think that's important. So uh, the book, again, as you said, is Dear Old Friends. And if they find that or James Flaherty, uh, it's in Amazon, both as an e-book and as a paperback. We will link it to this podcast when it publishes. So they'll have no trouble finding your book if we can get them to listen to the podcast. And I think they will. Um, It's been delightful. I'd like to have you back on in six months or a year. Would that be okay? It would be absolutely my pleasure. Wonderful. I I wrote, by the way, I've written two novels besides, but that's a a whole other subject. I know. And you told me you're not (laughs) done writing. You plan on writing more. So, I've got a lot of my, I have a whole TV series ready to go. I just need to find somebody to sell it to. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me you will. Something tells me you will. Jim, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your perspective on how to age in full bloom. Lisa, my pleasure. A great pleasure. So long, folks. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed the program. I'm sure you did. Till next time, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be forever at your back.